Taking off on a rocket ship. There you go. Good morning and welcome to the Wise Wire. This morning, as you can always hear, I have my guests in the studio before we even start, which I just love. So this morning, we are going to have some fun. It's Christmas. Why not? And yes, I am dating this episode, but you know what? Life is too short to worry about all of these crazy things that they tell you to do and not to do. And of course, with my guest this morning, that is absolutely perfect. So I am joined by Kevin Wooding, who has known me. Now, I thought it's since I was 17, but it turns out since I was 16. So there you go, a bit of my past coming into my future. Kevin, please, as always, this show is not about me. So please introduce yourself. Oh, hello, everybody. <coughs> Welcome. I am Kevin Wooding, and uh, I am a musician, a composer, a pianist. And I've had quite an interesting journey along with that because I um, ended up exploring th other things as well, which have really related and tied together every aspect I feel that uh, for me is what life is about. So I'm thrilled to be able to have a little chat about it. Alexander Technique and vision work and everything. So thank we're you. Ready to go. Thank you. So this morning, just we, we may have some technical issues. I don't know. I've never done this before. We're going to bring some music in because it would be a crying shame to have a composer and a musician on the show and not showcase some of his amazing music. And of course, I'm privy to this because I've heard it since I was 16 when he was teaching sight singing. So Kevin, you just mentioned that you now do Alexander Technique, but what I really want to explore at the beginning of this is about your music. And I think yesterday we were talking and you said, asked me a question about what is music. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes, yes. What is music? It was interesting because this started back when I was at teaching at Arts Ed, where you were a, a young student. And uh, I was given the task of teaching the very, very talented young people how to sing from sight from the written music on the page and many of these people were just natural born performers or they naturally sort of felt what the music should be doing so reading and performing sometimes it's like oh you know how do we how do we put those two together because you know you can get people who are really really good sight readers but really can't perform very well you know, they're, they're not, they haven't got that kind of extra, what's it called? The X factor. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and it was interesting because the texts at the time were pretty academic. They were not really engaging the, the sense of like, what is the meaning of this? What, why are we doing this? It was more like, you know, learn this interval, really practice it, learn the next one. And it was, you know, like, I mean, it was dead, basically. And uh, I found that, you know, people didn't turn up to classes. They didn't feel it was very interesting. And I thought, this is frustrating. There's got to be, yes, I saw that little look. Uh, <laughs> and um, I, I started to develop a new way of presenting it. And this was to show people how each of these intervals had meaning to them. So it was going directly into the emotional landscape of all of these performing people. And they loved it. They absolutely loved it. You missed that bit, Kirsty. Yeah, it was very. It was really interesting. It's um, the, it it calls back into the uh, sort of innate vibration that is, you know, it, within all things. 
we have within music, uh, every note that you hear has a vibration to it, but it has more than just its single vibration. It has a series of uh, ever sort of higher and higher notes that are imperceptible to most people. Uh, some cultures, uh, like uh, um, Asian music, Indian music with the sitar and stuff, they really emphasize all of these sort of what they call partials or harmonics above. And I su suddenly saw that this was innate within everybody. So I thought, I'm going to start ex getting them to explore what these feelings mean between different intervals. In, in Western music, it's like we play this note, and then we play this note, and we have those relationships spelled out. But every note itself has its own, yeah, etc. Et what was fascinating is that these young people, I would say, just get yourself very peaceful, just listen to the sounds around. I'm going to play some notes. I want to tell me what you see. What do you feel is happening? And there was like, I would say about an 80% like consensus. They all felt and saw the same thing. Sometimes, you know, to specific, you know, you know um, nursery rhyme, twinkle, mm -hmm. twinkle, little star. Right. Yeah, of course I do. It has, it has an interval on it. And da, da, twinkle, twinkle, bit. Yeah, that opening interval, that's a perfect fifth. And that is a, perfect, a wonderful relationship of two cycles to three cycles. So it's two to three relationship. And that is in so many star themes. Star Wars. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, why... It, what is actually what is the universal language that's being spoken here? And I mean, the result of this was, um, you know, I suddenly saw that we as a human species have drawn on the vibration, have pulled it together. It has come into different formats across the globe. I mean, you know, you have, as I mentioned, uh, Asian music or the uh, you know, sitar or the Tibetan monks chanting. They are all about the harmonic series. They're all about the, the total vibration of how things work. The planets actually work in the same way in relation to the sun. They, they call it the music of the spheres. Yes? Yeah, so, listening. I'm lo loving yeah, this. Yeah, got... you, you, put it, you put it all together and then suddenly there's this sort of knowledge that we are part of this. Our musical literacy I'm not talking just about musicians. I'm talking about the people who listen, the people who go to the movies and say, oh, I love this. I love the music. The music is crucial to letting your emotions flow with what's happening on the screen. Brilliant. Yeah. So I remember my mum when I was ooh, really, really young, uh, before I went to arts and, and I was uh, in primary school, and she sat myself, my brother and my sister on the floor and played Handel's Water Music. And made us close our eyes and listen and that's actually where my love of music really started so out to my mom thank you um, <laughs> and i remember studying the harmonics when we were doing music at yes. school because obviously i went to the school of arts as well yes. this brings me on to actually a perfect point to play a beautiful piece of music should i just can i just talk a little moment about yeah, it of course you can. for a moment yeah um so this uh, this piece of music comes it's called a welsh fantasy and it comes from a period of time when, well, I still go to Wales regularly. I just love Wales so much. I was going to Wales uh, maybe once or twice a year and spending maybe a week or two there. And uh, in the middle of the winter, when I wasn't in Wales, 
I was suddenly, I, I have to call it a dream happened where, you know, Wales is full of dragons, right? <laughs> right? I had not connected that when I was there. I'd never even perceived that this was a thing. It's on the flag, for goodness sake. So I hadn't thought of it, but suddenly there was, uh, in my dream, a dragon on the bed. And it was a very real dream. It was, I, I woke up convinced there was a dragon outside the house. And I was, I was awake the rest of the night thinking this, you know, in, in an imaginary sort of fantasy sort of world. And I, I thought, what is this? And I, I thought, how can I express the meaning of this? Because it was so significant. It was so powerful. And I, you know, I've got a little story in my mind about what it could be about, and that's developing. But I thought, I've, I've got to get some music down to show what this actually felt like. So you can play the music now. Well, it should come in, in the background. I've got a, we've got a beautiful picture to bring in as well. That's I'm hoping everyone can hear that. Yeah, I can, you can increase the volume. Yeah, yeah I, I can't hear, unfortunately. I think it's going to have to increase slowly. Perfect. Absolutely beautiful. And of course, I spent my whole of my childhood in Wales. Um, oh, it's still going slightly. I'm going to miss this bit.
absolutely beautiful. I think we've lost your volume now. That's a bit strange. There we go. Oh, there we go. Oh, phew. That was absolutely beautiful. And of course, I grew up, spent all my summers in Wales as a child because my grandparents lived in Clondilo. And that's just, well, they actually lived in Clondilo. Well, anyway, that area. Um, that was absolutely magical. And I'm sure the listeners really enjoyed it. So, an inspiration from a dragon. Can you? Yeah? <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> so you've got, obviously, um, you've got an accent there. So I want to talk about the, the shift from where um, you came from music to Alexander Technique and the Bates, but I'm also intrigued how you came to England. Oh, okay, yeah. England, when I was growing up, um, my family, it was always a place that you ended up having to go to. It was um, not only in the family, but it was... It's in the culture, actually, in, in New Zealand. People would talk about OE, which was equivalent, <laughs> meant exactly overseas experience. New Zealand's a very, at the time, I mean, it's, it always has been a long way from everywhere, but um, people didn't travel even, the, you know, that much back then. Um, you know, it was a little bit more expensive in relation to incomes and that sort of thing. So a lot of people just, you know, were born in New Zealand, grew up in New Zealand and died in New Zealand and never actually went even as far as Australia, which isn't that far away. So uh, my sister had come over, my brother had come over. Um, I was studying music and uh, I had a teacher that I was going to come to over here um, in the royal schools that I was going to work with. And uh, somehow I ended up teaching at Arts Ed instead. So... <laughs> <laughs> sort of a set of circumstances yeah, just sort of came about and that's just that just happened so changed my life in so, many ways i for one am so pleased that you came to us said that we had yeah, that reunion uh, by david uh, david wood and that yeah. i actually got to re-meet you so um yeah big shout out to the big man there um right. yeah. yeah and um yeah so moving on i really want to know about the leap because it is a big leap and some people talk about quantum leaps and i call them alice moments but there is a huge leap here from music to alexander technique to the bates method so can mm. you explain because some people yeah. have not even heard of what of alexander technique or the bates method yeah well just before leaving new zealand i had a serious car accident um i suppose it's just a bit of sort of Un unlucky circumstances and slightly sort of poorly planned, you know, road markings and everything. It was a very familiar bit of road that I knew very well. Uh, it was a motorway, so I had a head-on collision on a motorway. Uh, the motorway itself had was drawn in to, uh, for a tunnel from what was four lanes, um, two on each side, uh, down to three. So the one I was on was a single lane going into the tunnel. Done this many, many times. No cars in front of me, not a problem. What I did not know was that there, it was sort of about this time of the year in, in New Zealand, it was November. Um, it's warming up, there are thunderstorms, and there had been an enormous downpour just around the opening to the tunnel and you know, probably the land all around, of course. But it, the cars had dragged a lot of water into the tunnel. When I drove, up to the tunnel, perfectly dry. I was maybe 20, 30 minutes later 
um, that it was warm, so all the water had just simply evaporated. And uh, the tunnel itself curved and came around the corner. And <laughs> when I said there was no traffic, there was literally a bank of traffic completely stationary in front of me. So I just thought, oh, that's fine. I put my foot on the brake and I aquaplaned. Went straight into the cars coming towards me and I hit maybe five cars in total. Um, no one was seriously injured. You know, I, I was standing in a, not standing, sitting, I was sitting literally in a cubicle thinking what's happened. You know, I, I had obviously been out, I'd been either knocked out or in shock or something. Um, yeah, it was quite something. It was uh, this sort of moment where, you know, you don't really realize what's happened to you. Yeah. And uh, there was a, you know, quite a long saga which i'm not going to go into if it is like because <laughs> it's going to take up the rest of the rest of the show um but yeah it was a very dramatic moment when a few days later i was able to speak to one of the witnesses and he asked me which car i had been in and i told him and he went completely silent and um i said hello hello are you there and then there was this sort of hoarse whisper as he said i thought you were dead Wow. So he had seen he had seen me with eyes wide open, mouth wide open. I had I had a cut on my head and the head bleeds it bleeds a lot. So it just looked really bad, like something out of a zombie movie. You know, <laughs> and, you know so, so it was like that moment. Um A it it started to change things in my perception of how life was working. It wasn't like you know a dramatic near-death experience like that. It was near death because I could have, you know, uh, one second this way or one split second that way or that way, I would have been, you know, up against the um, tunnel wall instead. You know, something else would have happened like that. But um, I was very lucky there were cars there to cushion my <laughs> flight, <laughs> as it were. And uh, yeah, it it um, it changed things very oddly. And it's only in sort of in the last sort of decade or you know, even the last few years, I thought, oh, gosh, there are all sorts of details there that sent me on a different track. So when I got to Arts Ed, you know, I was like on the same track I thought I'd always been on, but it had started to divert because I was no longer thinking I'm going to be a concert pianist. I was thinking, oh, you know, I'll, I'll come back to that in a bit, but I'm going to do this now. This is interesting. I'm, it's fun. So things started to shift. But there were two significant things that happened. One was I had a knee injury because your foot's on the brake. You get a lot of impact through that, that right leg. And uh, the other one was that I had just had a prescription for my glasses, a piece of paper just before the accident. So I hadn't made the new glasses up yet. They were legal for driving still. There was not a problem there. And a week later after the accident, I got the prescription made up and I got the glasses and they weren't strong enough. And I thought, this is weird. They must have made a mistake at the factory. So I went back to the optician. I said, can you please check these glasses against the prescription? And he said, no, these are perfect. These are exactly the prescription this is. Let's test your eyes again. And they had deteriorated by another half a diopter. So normally that might take place over two years not over a week or a week and a half and i said to him well you know i've just been in this really traumatic car accident was has that had an effect on my eyes and i remember he said the very words were oh no 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 your eyes have nothing to do with the rest of the body 
And I have to say, I mean, I was 22 years old. I mean, my literal thought was, this is a scam, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> when you're 22, you just let me you know, jump into kind of all sorts of things. But I thought that had to be a, you know, pardon the kind of term, but that a very short-sighted way of looking at what had happened. And I didn't, I couldn't afford another pair of glasses. So I kept these ones that was slightly too weak. And um, within a year, my eyes had actually gone back into them and were, I got a test a year later and my eyes were actually fitting the glasses rather than the other way around. And uh, so this raised that question. But the knee uh, manifested two or three years later when I was on the cycle tour and I just sat down um, sort of, you know, in the morning eating a huge amount of pan and this sort of thing and I couldn't stand up and my knee was excruciatingly painful, just out of the blue. And it went on, I thought it would go away just as quickly, but it stayed for two, three, four years like that. And in the midst, I had an x-ray and was told I was getting arthritis. So all of these things put music a little bit on the side and said, I have to look at what's happening to me and see what I can do about it. And uh, that led me to the Alexander Technique, to help me to use my body better. I changed diet, I changed the way I was eating as well. And uh, I came out scot-free from all the problems. I mean, it, it was bad enough when I was at the doctor's when they finally did an x-ray and looked at it and said, you know, you're, you've got the beginnings of arthritis and um, you've got about a 90% chance of being in a wheelchair by the time you're 30. And uh, I, yeah, yeah, I just said, no. I'm not doing that. So, <laughs> and, and it's inspirational, you know. You went off and found alternative ways to, you know, to to move. And yeah. we studied a little bit of Alexander technique uh, as an art, so, because it was it was about movement based, but mm. obviously not as far as you've gone. And mm. it's it's quite in depth. And I know some people are will be listening on this who've got a back problem or an injury. And if you could just expand a little bit more about what Alexander Technique does. Yeah, it helps you become aware of what it is you are doing. Um, it's a very curious thing because, you know, well, I know what I'm doing. I'm, you know, I'm rushing off to the shops. I'm doing this and that. It's not that. It's the way your body relates to gravity, the way you're... I mean, you know, if you go to a um, singing teacher or if you go to a violin, um, you know, violin teacher or something, they will talk about your technique in relation to the instrument, whether it's yourself with your voice or if you're a sports person, your technique in relation to your tennis racket. And, you know, so that is one thing. But everybody relates to the planet. It's done in, in an enormous variety of ways with all the, you know, every person has their own little foibles, little quirks about how they think their body needs to work. And it feels familiar and as if there's nothing wrong until some problem starts to appear. So, I mean, what we do in the work is just get a person to literally stop to be exactly where they are and then to see if with that pause that little moment where you don't have to rush i mean you know one of the big issues is that everyone thinks well i'm generalizing of course but i should be getting on with that i should be so the mind is pulling into the future the body 
tries to reflect that and gives you a feeling of anticipation. So there's sort of this subliminal level of tension on the person that is so uh, normalized that it feels extraordinary when you stop because you suddenly realize what you've been doing. So we sometimes call it unlearning because you know, in a way you learned from culture, from the way the world works. We've got a very complicated culture. You know, it's really, we haven't changed that much from, you know, what human beings were like sort of, you know, 40,000 years ago. There hasn't been that much actual change, but the culture around us has developed. I mean, you know, the music I was talking about before, um, that's a form of emotional technology that helps us to understand our emotions, but it's actually made us able to express and connect. No other species has done this to such a degree before. So the Alexander technique, as I said, is, you know, gets you to stop and puts you back where your primal self actually is most at peace. And, and, and you're, you're now working with tennis, tennis players, right? I am, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited about this, yeah. I've been, uh, I approached um, a, uh, a lady from the um, you know, tennis professional, uh, was it WTA, Women's Tennis Association, uh, someone that had already made inquiries about working with vision. And I said to her, listen, would you like to do an experiment with me? Because I've had people who have come to me for Alexander for sport and well not for sport more because i've got a you know backache i've got a back pain but they've found aspects of their sport improve i mean so you know the, the best story i think is the the fellow who came to me and he didn't seem to make much real impression uh, you know he didn't speak much about what was happening and i said to him one day what what are you actually getting out of this most you know what what's what do you feel is happening and he said oh i run be i run better I said, oh, really? You know, tell me about that. And he told me this amazing story where he was in a race. He was a triathlete and they run all over the countryside. And he, he crossed over a, a, a um, stile and there's, the whole pack was coming in. So they all had to go and turn one after the other over this stile, which is like a little set of steps over, the, over a fence. And uh, he got onto the field and ran across it and he found himself completely alone. And he said, well, you know, the field was pretty, tr pretty tricky. But when I turned around, the rest of the pack were either lying down on the field, falling over or getting up. They were not able to run across the field. He had just sailed across. And he said, my feet, I didn't even bother. I just let them do what they know how to, what they know how to do. The problem on the field was it was muddy and there, was, there were rocks hidden in the mud. So you didn't know whether you were going to land on the ground or on a little kind of you know, hidden step or something to trip on. He just ran straight across. And he said, this was down to the technique. And I thought, well, doesn't that sound like some kind of really primitive human being who's just able to sail across something that no problem? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's fun. It really is interesting. It, it does. It, it, I, I can remember the little bits we did, and, and it is about kind of realigning and re as you said relearning and you know some people call, some people will think it's mumbo jumbo but it really isn't there's I mean it kind of links back to Taylorism and a whole load of other things and I, I know some people don't like Taylorism but obviously as actors we studied that so it's yeah. just really interesting to hear you talk about it and I'd like to touch slightly on to the 
Bates method, just so that people understand what it is, and then um, ask you about your aha moments. <laughs> ask me about what, sorry? An aha moment. So where you've had an aha. Well, actually, maybe just how the song came about that we're going to play yeah. at the end of the episode. Absolutely, yes, yes. Okay, so I was just going to mention one more thing about the technique. There, there has been uh, a very good longitudinal study done for it in relation to back pain. Uh, it's very successful. Very I've just successful. been shying away there. <laughs> yeah. It, well, sorry, yes, yes. I, I just remembered you told me this yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'll look forward to you when you come for your lessons. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, the, the, they had a longer, it was about 500 people or over 500 people being test, being going through lessons, but they also did it in relation to, massage, GP-led exercise. Uh, they had a, a scheme where they did um, six weeks or six sessions of Alexander followed by GP-led exercise. That was quite successful. So the uh, me, uh, the average, the, the control group, average uh, number of days of back pain per month was 21. And with the GP-led exercise, that went down to eight. Uh, with the Alexander plus GP-led exercise, it went down to eight. GP-led exercise alone had virtually no, no beneficial effect. And maybe, maybe three or four days, maybe sort of 18 days a month or something like that. I can't remember exactly. The people who did massage, it was about 15 days a month. And the people who did 24 lessons, it was three days a month. Cost effectiveness meant that they went for the six, six lessons plus GP-led ex exercise as the way, you know, best way to do it, you know, um, uh, thriftily but uh you know it's it's very effective it's wonderful brilliant thank you and yes i do look forward to relearning how to align the body so that i don't ever go back to where i was a couple of months ago so <laughs> yeah. yes all right point taken point right taken on. everybody on air everyone everyone knows <laughs> yeah. um, so the Bates technique because it, it's like i can see that we're yeah, the, the, we're running out of time. So I want to touch on the Bates mm -hmm. technique and I want to hear about your aha moments. So Yes, okay. Um, aha moments, you'll have to remind me what those are. Um, <laughs> so with the vision work, uh, it was actually in the Alexander technique that I first experienced a shift in my vision. Um, quite dramatically so. I was brought up from the table um, maybe sort of several months in and I could see perfectly. I, you know, I, you know, I've talked before about the prescription I had. Um, I didn't know what to do with this kind of knowledge that stress had caused my vision to deteriorate. Uh, so when that happened, I thought, oh, there must be some, some system that actually looks into eyes and how the eyes relate. And so I you know, went into looking at this vision work. It's, uh, it's hard to summarize in just a few words. How, how, many, how many minutes have we got? <laughs> We're okay. I'm not going to cut the, the okay. intro, but okay. um, yeah. I just want to, I want to touch on everything that, because what you do is extraordinary. There is nobody that yeah. I know, know that does what you do, which is why I asked you on the show. Yeah. Oh, lovely. Well, that's really, really good. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I went off to lessons and started to explore it. It's about, I mean, you know, if you, if you look at the orthodox way, it's mostly about the physicality of things. So they look at things in terms of optics and lenses but it's not a, a purely physical process for any being, whether that's a human being or some other species, to actually 
figure out what is being sent in. I mean, the miraculous thing about the eyes, you've got, you know, uh, they have two different pictures. They're slightly different. They send this into electrical signals, all jumbled up on top of each other. And it's miraculous that it is sorted out. You, you know, if you see, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, something coming towards you, like a car coming towards you, your mind doesn't jumble it up with like, oh, you know, that wasn't there a moment ago, so what is it now? It, it tracks, it knows exactly what's happening when and where. It's extraordinary what the eyes can do. Uh, they take up an enormous amount of energy. Um, the, the visual cortex is around about 44% of your brain's entire energy consumption. If you open, you know, as soon as you open your eyes onto a complex scene, the glucose uh, requirement goes up by 50%. It's, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's a phenomenal system. So we look at the way the mind is interacting with the eyes. That's what the Bates method does. Um, it's got its detractors and, and controversies, of course, but it, a lot of it's, you know, just misunderstanding. It hasn't, you know, people don't really know what it's about until you actually do it. And, uh, yeah, we've got, you know, I always think that there was the fellow who developed it was maybe sort of 100 years or maybe, you know, 200 years ahead of his time. There's still more we can do with it. Thank you. I, I love the way you kind of explained quite succinctly about how the brain and the visual cortex works. So I'd never really thought about that. So I yeah. like that. That, that's that's got me thinking and I'm very very reticent to put my glasses on because we have had a comment from Morin this morning saying good morning so good morning Morin it's lovely to see you uh, well hear you um so aha moments there must be moments you've already talked about a few the moving the car the car accident moving to England being with your sister arts ed uh, moving to Alexander Technique your knee when you were you were you can see oh, hey I was listening uh, your knee when you were on the the yeah, on your cycle. Um, so is there anything within that that you haven't told us about where there was a real aha moment where you went, yeah, I'm on the right path or I'm completely on the wrong path? Well, okay, so there's one, one really kind of odd aha moment, you know, starting with the Alexander work, which was, I, I thought the Alexander work was about remedial process. You know, so like you've got a problem so that you can fix it. So I went in thinking, I've got a knee problem. My, when, I, when I first heard of the Alexander Technique, my piano teacher um, had had a, what we call a um, spectacular performance injury. She uh, was in her debut recital and um, she said it felt like two guns went off in my arms. She could still play but she knew something had been like snapped or crossed or some, you know, the, the adrenaline, the, you know, so the show must go on. You know, she, she, could, she could still play, finish the concert. And the next morning she woke up and both arms were black and blue with bruises from fingertip to shoulder and ballooned to twice their normal size. Wow. And uh, this was, you know, for a very long time, this was like a career ending injury that she she didn't know what to do with this and uh about two months in she had been you know i mean whoever she went to see about the problem they had never seen anything like it it was you know extraordinary this was uh, rsi re repetitive strain injury in its most extreme form 
you get sometimes people talking about, oh yeah, I had some bruises appear, but it's where the the lubrication for the tendons has literally run out of steam, or it's been clenched tight with so much tension around the you know activity in the arm that it has literally worn itself out, and uh, it the, the tendons start to seize. They start to not be able to function properly. And she was obviously not functioning, but still playing, and um, you know, causing a huge amount of damage. But uh, yeah, she finally went to an Alexander teacher. They weren't really that well known. This is maybe late sixties, early seventies. They hadn't been quite. I mean, you can get an NH, um, Alexander on the NHS in here in the UK. So um, you have to push for it and look for it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So she went to an Alexander teacher and within half an hour, these swellings, which were still there two months later, had almost completely disappeared. And this was unexpected, not only to her, but also to the teacher. She didn't expect that. So when I was, um, uh, you know, sort of looking at this work, thinking, well, this is all about remedial, you know, fixing problems. I had my first lesson, my teacher started working on my head and neck and I saw all my problems down by my knee. And she said, well, yes, that's right. But we look at the big pattern first, which is the relationship between the head, neck and back. That's what we call the primary control. If that is working well, the other patterns start to sort themselves out. So they said, your knee is a little pattern. This one's a big one. And I said, oh, okay, okay. So I went home, first lesson, I went home, sat down, played the piano and I could play better. I thought, oh. I didn't expect that. How did that happen? So um, this, you know, kind of makes me excited when I'm working with people who are not actually physically injured and actually looking to, you know, improve their performance. It works even more effectively as a preventative from injury rather than one that says, oh, I've now I've got damaged. Now I'm going to look at this thing that's going to help me. I love that. I, I really do. Mel Horsey's just popped in and said, happy greetings to you both. This has been a fascinating, uh, has been a fascinating listen, which was lovely. Did you notice I didn't put my glasses on? Normally I always put my glasses on. So we get to turn the table and you get to ask me a question and then we're going to play this amazing song. So uh, you get to ask me anything you want and I never know what this is going to be. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know either. Um... <laughs> I like that idea. <laughs> Uh, I've got, okay, so you're going to come for a lesson? Apparently. Um, I think I've just signed up to that on air. So, yes, it would appear I am going to come for a lesson. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we'll call that the question. So, obviously, I the person who is singing this song, who you co-wrote, and the song is called, let me get this right, Do You Believe in Magic? Yes, that's right. Yeah, not, not what I've been calling it for the last 24 hours. Um, I went to school with Helen Goldwyn. Uh, she, we both were at School of Arts as pupils, and she was an incredible, well, is an incredible talent. And you can actually see her performing. And I forgot to check where she is. She is in her show uh, over Christmas, so I will put that into a co into the comment on the links. Uh, if you like the the sound of Helen's voice, she is an amazing performer. Um, Kevin, over to you to tell us more about this incredible song. So this is "Do You Believe in Magic?" It's a song that. Helen approached me with some harmonies and some opening um, melody and I think some words she had already. I can't remember exactly, but we went over it for quite some time, just looking at the way it could be de developed and, uh, you know, did recordings and then, you know, improved it, improved it. And uh, we then um, got it 
you know, ready. And uh, a little bit later, she said, I'd love to do some animation, get some animation done on this. So we have a full on video with an animated do. story being told about what's happening for this little boy who is actually modeled by his her wonderful son, uh, Ethan. And, uh, you know, you don't see him in person, but you see his animated form. And, okay. Uh, it's really roll, fun. As they say, roll VT. <laughs>
So thank you for that beautiful, beautiful song. Um, and thank you for testing my skills on uh, Streamer this morning, because I have never done anything quite like that. So thank you for the challenge. Uh, thank you for being my guest. I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, Mel has said, is this song an animation up on YouTube? Of course it is. I have put the, the I will put the links into the comments as well. It is available, written and co-written by Kevin and Helen Goldwyn, who I went to school with. And of course, mm. Kevin taught me to sightseeing. I didn't bunk off all the classes. <laughs> <laughs> I did, I did. She did, she did. <laughs> I was a choir girl and I had been taught to sightseeing through the choir, so I'm going to defend myself there. I but remember. yes. Yeah, I bumped with all of them. Yeah, I'm guilty. Thank you so much. It was, and thank you. I just to say one little thing. Um, if people are searching for the song on, you know, any kind of downloading uh, platform, it's, it's available on many. Uh, use the word Goldwood with the title. It will find, because so many songs and things are out there called Do You Believe in Magic? So, you know, <laughs> put Goldwood in and you'll find it. Brilliant. Thank you Absolutely. so much, Kirsty. Thank you. Thank you.